0: right, I'll just do that again.
1: Uh, <laughs> you think? <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, I got this gig at two hours notice, okay? <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Sinny Skinny, the film podcast from the people behind The Skinny Magazine. We're back at EHFM, thank you to Jamie Fettinger and the station for having us again, be sure to listen to EHFM at EHFM.live, it truly is the best radio station, basically all the cool people I know seem to have shows there, Uh, just cool guys. Uh, (laughs) I should say for regular listeners who may be confused, my name is Jamie Dunn, I'm sitting in for Peter Simpson who is unfortunately not too well today so he had to cancel hosting today so peter please get well soon but i am joined as ever by annie berrous hello annie i believe you were patient zero in this plague that's uh, no, uh, sweeping uh, the office
1: editor-in-chief was patient zero okay i think she was ill first then i got ill then i gave it to someone else who so i think then gave it to peter you're the super spreader. though right? i yeah. was
2: sitting next our editor-in-chief the day hmm. before
0: she
1: got either Ill.
2: of us got ill so I don't oh, know where it came from. So you
1: could be patient, Sarah. Right? It
2: could be. Yeah. It was possible. I mean, I'd been at the Young Fathers
0: at the Bauer Lands right before. Yeah. So, Essentially, yeah. if you meet someone from the skinny in the street, avoid them at all costs. Yeah, we yeah, are yeah, yeah. We're plagiarism. spreading something.
1: And it's like a weird something. I felt like dizzy. Like I was, re- I thought I had long COVID because I was like, I felt really stoned.
0: <laughs> like i mean like you may have just week, been stunned. But, yeah. be
1: but i don't think i was <laughs> i don't remember doing it um i think i've just felt like really like like not with it like really lightheaded like very strange a really strange illness i think we have incubated kind of like with covid and the bat i think we are the bat
0: I oh, no. Yeah. Well, Peter, look forward to that. Uh, uh, and I am joined by Ellie Robertson. Hi, Ellie. Hi. How's it going? I'm okay. I'm better now. So it's good. See, there is an end to the tunnel. You come out the other <laughs> side feeling healthy and stronger.
2: Totally. Yeah. If it doesn't kill us, it makes us stronger. I'm now paranoid, though, so I've started wearing masks again. Like, I wear masks no. on buses and subways now. Yeah, just because yeah. I'm like, last winter, I was just ill all the time. Because mm-hmm. I think that no matter what, everyone's immunity is down. So yeah. now I'm like, I'm
0: going to be a, a, a mask queen.
1: A mask <laughs> queen, yeah, baby. Go for it.
0: Yeah, so, uh, okay, shall we we make a podcast, guys? Yes. Okay. On today's show, we're going to delve into Saltburn, the new film from Promising Young Women director Emerald Fennell. We also check out Tish, a documentary about photographer Tish Murtha uh, from Paul Singh. And in honour of our favourite little freak, Barry Keenan, um, who stars in Saltburn uh, as a chaotic figure, And let's face it, he's a horny little chaotic figure in all of his films. Uh, We're going to be celebrating Barry and talking about our favourite horny figures in cinema. It's a very loose theme. I don't know how this is going to work. (laughs) As you can tell, it probably wasn't thought out that well.
1: We did we discussed this yeah. numerous times <laughs> and but, we still decided. To but, for it. but
0: but nobody knows exactly what it means. So.
1: No, no, no. There was like a conversation earlier where Ellie was like, How are we defining horny little freak <laughs> I was like, Fuck like, I, hell. We're like doing I, a PhD. I have
2: not seen Saltburn, so I was kind of like, I can't go off of how horny a little freak Barry Keegan is in this film because I don't really know. I don't know if it's no. horny like I don't know, like Shakespeare horny or horny, mm. like, I don't know. It's like
1: his usual brand of horny, I think. If you've seen a Barry Keoghan film, right. then I think, like, okay, you know,
2: interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've brought something that's not that, so, okay. let's, so
1: it'll be fine. fun. It we'll get there. Be. Okay, Diversity.
0: We're going to be talking about something. We'll see. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so first we're gonna head back to the halcyon days of 2006, when adults were reading Harry Potter and Indie Sleaze was on the radio. The film, as I mentioned, was directed by Emerald Fennell, who made the divisive rape revenge film, Promising Young Woman. And here she's telling the tale of privilege and desire centered on Skinny's favorite, Barna who is Oliver Quick, a lowly working class kid from Merseyside, who's completely out of his depth uh, among the extremely privileged classmates at his first year at Oxford University. He's a bit of outcast until he's taken under the wing of an incredibly charming and handsome aristocrat called Felix, who's played by Jacob Elordi. Felix and Oliver become fast friends, and this bromance intensifies when Felix invites Oliver to spend the summer holidays at Saltburn, his huge ancestral home. Not ancestral home. Ancestral home. <laughs> My god. How does Pierre do this? How do you do this?
1: <laughs> Could we not cut any of this?
0: Please. Okay, here Oliver meets Felix's eccentric family uh, who includes uh, Richard E. Grant as his dotty dad, Rosamund Pike as his deliciously awful ex-model mother and Alison Oliver as Felix's troubled younger sister. Anna Heat. I got to the end of that, my God. That was
1: tough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you went to Oxford.
1: I did. <laughs> Jesus.
0: You, you, you probably went to Oxford not long after this is set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so in you, 2009. You, yeah, so you, 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 you could have been in this film, basically. You could have been in... <laughs>
1: I am Rosalind Piper, <laughs> <laughs> actually. <laughs>
0: uh, what, what do you think? Um,
1: Yeah, so this is... L- this film does not have, like, an original bone oh in its gosh, body. Yeah. I'm going to, like, start off there. It is Brideshead Revisited for the kids that, like, take care and listen to the kinks. Is it the kinks? Do I mean the kinks? The kooks? The kooks, The <laughs> kooks. <laughs> Remember the kooks? Wow, they were great. <laughs> it's, like, very kind of... Yeah, building on a lot of the ideas around Brideshead Revisited, on the talented Mr. Ripley, it's like plundering them with absolutely no fucking shame whatsoever. I think the thing with like how Emerald Fennell cinema is talked about is as if it is original and as if it is groundbreaking. And I am actually slightly grateful to this film because it shows that it's actually just not, like there is nothing groundbreaking in any of this, but it is kind of like a put together and fun time. It is deliriously camp. It is so over the top and stupid. The performances are really good, I think, because she has like curated loads of like really good people in it. And I will say the thing that I find really, not interesting, but <laughs> a saving grace in Emerald Fennell, like, the way that she kind of makes films, is she is very, very good at paying attention to like little details in films. So in Promising Young Woman, one of the things that I really liked was the way that she kind of cast all of these old like sitcom actors that we kind of think of as these nice guys only to show they're complete like dickheads um and in this there are like certain scenes that are just so like out there and weird and kind of show like at least that this has a little bit of personality behind it I am thinking of the scene where Barry Keoghan does something in the bathtub (laughs) I'm not going to say what but it is definitely something also the scene where he like goes up down on the girl. like all of these which he does it in a very specific way that I don't want to can you really spoil that scene I don't know anyway he does it in a particular way and I think she's quite good at like creating a sort of like color or like narrative behind how she is talking about like quite actually well trodden and trite themes and ideas but like these little glimpses of how she does it feel like quite compelling quite interesting um I did for my sins go to Oxford <laughs> in yeah I guess it would have been I started there in 2009 and I think a bugbear that I have with this kind of film and I'm thinking also of um, that film that came out several years ago The Riot Club I don't know if you oh, watched yeah. that but it is kind of like a genre of cinema where people talk about how like fucking awful Oxford is and like Sure. Like, no arguments there. I think arguably, like, most kind of, like, university institutions in the UK are, especially these days, like, absolutely, like, immoral (laughs) places. Um, But there is a kind of way that we talk about, like, Oxbridge in the public imagination, which is so simplified that it actually loses all of its kind of political teeth. Like, the problem with Oxford isn't that you have, like, these insane people who are, like, paying off other, like, poorer kids to, like, dance for them. And this, like, that doesn't actually happen. Like, the problem with it is that it is entrenching certain kind of quite insidious models of, like, class and economics from, like, a really, really young age into kind of our political and financial systems. Like, that is the problem with it. And the way that these kind of films talk about it, I find really frustrating because it misses the point, and I think that kind of speaks to a much wider problem in this film particularly, where it is quote unquote kind of a film about class, but I actually can't think of a single thing that it's saying about class, except maybe that the rich are bad, but also actually not really. So maybe it's actually the people that are trying to social climb that are bad, except maybe not really that as well. So it just doesn't really say anything. And I think it's very interested in like the kind of extreme aesthetics of British class and how like awful it can be without actually thinking about any of the ways in which that operates. And that is something that I just find personally really frustrating. Um, and I think made it a fundamentally incredibly silly film. But that's okay. Like I had a blast. Like I had a great time watching it. I would probably watch it again. I d- did not use a single brain cell while I watched it. <laughs> like it was nice. That was good. Like a recommendation. But it that is all it is. Um, I don't know if you agree.
0: Yeah, I found it hugely entertaining Often incredibly funny, uh, like Rosamund Pike. Yeah, Like every great. line she <laughs> says is hilarious. It was so fun. It's so funny actually. It was one of these. I watched it um, at the JFT um, during the LFS screenings. And I just miss lots of dialogue because people were just creasing themselves. Like it was a real, really, really funny film. Carrie Mulligan has this little cameo. as this? Uh, she's like this house guest who's overstayed her welcome, and she's just so funny. She's like she stepped. It's like she stepped out of Ab Fab. Mm. She's like a character who's just wandered into this room, she's <laughs> like she's fantastic. Um, Richard E. Grant's really good. I love the cast. I I think the cast is doing incredible things. I think Barry Keenan has never been better. He's like perfect actually in this role and kind of surprising. Even though I'm saying as a kind of typical Barry Keenan role, he's playing this kind of like uh, agent of chaos. He's actually doing things I've never seen him do before and actually kind of ballsy in a way that a lot of actors who claim to be ballsy aren't being ballsy. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, and and, and I, I really enjoyed that aspect. But yeah, you're right. There's also that aspect, the problem that, you know, Emerald Fennell is, a uh, is from this class and she went to o- Oxford University yep. at this time and was definitely, you know, if we're talking, I don't know exactly how wealthy she is, but, you know, her dad was like a rich jeweller, mm. if you wouldn't guess from a, stu- a stupid name, um, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you know, who's a jeweller who calls a kid Emerald? That seems weird to me. But anyway, yeah, wow. like a builder who calls his son Brick. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> But anyway, so, so, like, you think... You, I did think at first, oh, that's quite interesting. She's going to, like, take aim at her own class and sort of, like, pull them down to size. And you think it's going to be, like, a takedown. But and, and and a lot of humour comes from the class and about how ridiculous this kind of brood of, is and how clueless and how, how out of touch they are. But, yeah, you're right. It's kind of affectionate towards them as well. Like, like I think, actually, we're meant to kind of like them. I do like mm. them. Especially Jacob... Uh, El- how do you say his name? Elordi. Elordi. You know, he's, like, actually a very admirable figure you know he's like quite altruistic you know he's like he's not you think he's going to be the, the the cliche you know the kind of jock handsome jock who's horrible to everyone and is going to get his cup bumpins and, and actually he's, he's quite an admirable fellow really like uh and and the whole scheme of things and again to go into why the politics of the film doesn't quite work you'd have to spoil the film Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. Um, and we can't really do that but yeah i think it is a bit clueless about like like her her politics is just bad. I think it was bad bad in Promising a Woman. I think it's bad here. Um, I think you're right as well. She borrows a lot a lot from a lot of stuff. And similarly in similarly, uh, Promising a Woman, she borrowed a lot of like great range re- stuff, but she didn't seem to understand the genre that she was working in. Yeah. She kind of like I think she was trying to subvert it, but in the, in some way b- became like less interesting than all the, the other films that she was trying to copy. And here she's copying a lot of films, but again she's missing out what's great about the talent of Mr Ripley is like actually Ripley's a really interesting deep character mm. who in one hand is completely amoral and evil but on the other hand is actually incredibly likeable and sympathetic and it's, the, it's that tension that makes that film so great. Like I watched that film and even though this character is horrible... I find him quite a tragic figure mm. and there's not that depth despite the greatness of Barry Keegan's performance. There's not that depth to his character no. is, is such a cipher. You don't really understand his motivations mm. or why he's doing what he's doing. Um, so I found, yeah, the lack of depth is what was frustrating, uh, for me. But, you know, saying that the film is full of like delightful stuff, like great images. I agree that some of the stuff you pointed out was great. There's also a scene with a grave, which is very memorable. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, and, but, but there's a lot of scenes which are also just like, look like an advert, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, them getting drunk at parties or playing tennis in like full tuxedos um, <laughs> while, you know, MGMT and people at like that play on the soundtrack. You know, it, it looks great and it sounds great, but, you know, it's not exactly seen much. Yeah, so it's really interesting, and you called it
2: like an aesthetic film, mm. which... I mean, I wonder if that's really what it is, because, again, I've not seen this film. I've only seen it based off of the trailers. But, yeah, it very much looks like Emerald Fennell wants to get away from the sort of trappings of promising young women, wherein things are very, like, grounded in a very dark and real story with real issues, and wants instead to fuck off to this, like, uncontroversial film where it's just eccentrically dressed whimsical characters that allow actors to do interesting roles they wouldn't normally be allowed to do and her only point of reference for where weird people are are in these insane institutions like that's my leading theory about what's going on with this film not having seen it mind you
1: (laughs) but yeah it is this kind of it's really similar actually I think to what TV shows like Gossip Girl did right where you are kind of critiquing these people by showing like their excesses and the aesthetic of their excesses but actually you just make it look kind of cool and desirable in a way that feels quite different from what someone for example like sophia coppola does where she is dealing again a lot with like aesthetics but it is to kind of dismantle how do kind of aesthetics work in like a gendered way and how do they kind of like trap women and girls within like certain environments whereas this is just like yeah it's kind of sexy and fun but not really they throw this party that looks genuinely sick and it's meant to be this like Disgusting display of wealth, but it just looks kind of fun. Very similar, actually, to I think what the Baz Luhrmann um, Great Gatsby did as well, where I just didn't quite understand it. And I think, like what you said about like Jacob Elordi actually being really likable, I think is yeah actually not the problem with the film. Not that they need to be unlikable, but it reminded me a lot of that kind of line in The Great Gatsby, like in the book where it kind of talks about how like they were careless people. And I think that is what these kids are. Like it's not that they're like out and out like evil in some ways. It's just that they're like thoughtless towards other people and they can just like be mean to you. And they're just kind of bullies in a way. They won't like ask you to sit with them. They're really shitty. Um, And what The Great Gatsby did was it kind of deconstructed how that was actually like a kind of moral failing and how that had reverberations. Whereas in this, it kind of feels like she's saying like, oh, well, but that is kind of the worst thing that they do. And it's yeah. like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that really understands how any of this operates.
0: Yeah. And I think that one of the worst things, I mean, I think it actually is quite a good film, but there's things that she does is are terrible towards the end. And it's just like, what it is is a lack of confidence and a lack of subtlety. Mm, like mm-hmm. like there's, a, there's a, a moment where she like reveals some information where she doesn't really take the intelligence in the audience seriously they think we we've missed some obvious things like like i think most people have worked out where the film is heading by like three quarters of the way through and she kind of hammers you over the head with what's happening and it was interesting because i watched the film i watched straight after this like a day later was may december which Mm -hmm. is another kind of camp really enjoyable satire um of of a certain sort of type of uh, person like a kind of class um but it's like really much more morally interesting and nuanced and it it's doesn't it's so subtle that yeah. film
1: that is so like entangled and interesting
0: exactly so it's just it's just it, watching it side by side with a filmmaker who doesn't feel he ha- they has to tell you everything and sort of lets the audience make up their mind about characters whereas a character uh, a director who really wants to tell you everything about the character and doesn't trust you to have your own opinion i think that's just the difference you know it's like y- yeah you're right it's like filmmaking on the surface there's kind of no depth no kind of like a yeah, it's not. A f- it's a film I might rewatch because it's funny, mm. but it's not a film I'm going to rewatch to try and dig into it and no, understand no. more. You know. No. No. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so, <laughs> I agree. so, uh, but a way uh,
0: that might sound like a pan, but I would actually say go out and see this film. I would it's say go so out fun? It. Yeah. Yeah.
1: hundred percent. I probably will go again when it's in the cinema. Like I kind of want to just like take some friends and be like, look, <laughs> 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 look at this.
0: <laughs> and, and in a way, uh, I also sound like I'm quite hard on Emma Farrell. I kind of like she's out there doing her own thing, and like you know, maybe it's, it's fine to be making stupid films that are entertaining. I like, always be... liked her in her acting roles. I think she's yeah. a very good actor. Yeah. What
1: has she done aside from Barbie? And and, um, Camilla Parkerball.
2: <laughs> uh, she, uh, she was in Call the Midwife for, like, three seasons. Oh, lovely. And she's, like, a really good character. She's, like, you know, got a little, um, sort of, like, lesbian love plot line going on for a while. And she's, like, I don't know, it's, it's all, like, her character's quite anti-colonial as well. Oh. But, yeah, that's just another, like, that's a show that sort of scoops up really weird people like Jessica Rains mm. or, um... Or uh what's her face, the I forget her name now, the lead from Ghosts who's been in loads and loads of stuff recently. But like and Judy Parfit as well. Like loads of like really interesting actors who kind of just appear on this show and talk about the sixties <laughs> and pretend to be a nun or whatever and then disappear. <laughs> and they like don't get like a send off or anything like that.
0: They just go on to like become successful directors. Okay. So that's that's a recommendation for both Saltburn and Call the Midwife. 100%. Yeah. And Emeril oh. as Camilla Parker's Bottles, because she has, like, actually very funny ears.
2: She
0: is funny as <laughs> that me, yeah. Um, So, yeah, Saltburn is released 17th of November by Warner Brothers. Go see it. Okay, on to Tish. Hmm. Tish's documentary telling the story of Tish Murtha, who was a Tyneside photographer who used her camera to chronicle working class lives. A lot of her work focused on the communities around her in the northeast of England in the 70s and 80s. She also spent some time documenting the lives of sex workers in Zoho in London, and generally she pushed back against Thatcherism and youth unemployment in 80s Britain. The film shows how Tish had success early in her career, but struggled to fit in with the middle class art establishment and sustain her career as a photographer. In the film, we meet Ella, who's Tish's daughter, um, who's trying to get her mother more recognised. And on the soundtrack, we hear Maxine Peake, who reads out Martha's various letters, diary entries and essays. Ellie, what do you think of this one? I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, um, so this year we've had All
2: the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And this is another documentary that really advocates for like the union between... Documentary cinema and photography. Like, it's a great way to just be exposed to the entire portfolio of a photographer, especially one that you might never even heard of, whilst also having this, like, very inquisitive nature that's great for exploring the background and the style and the subjectivity of the photographer. And the fact that it's a family member as well that's investigating this, it's very uh, stories we tell. Um, So I, I enjoyed it immensely. Like, you know, I think that the probably the biggest difference between all the beauty and the bloodshed which does have you know it's 80s social realist thing but then tethers that into a modern day crusade against the opioid crisis the ending of tish murtha's story is like a lot more bleak um and i don't know the extent to which i i can spoil it but like i mean this is a rather under underappreciated photographer someone who was never appreciated in the course of her life um and you know the fact as well that her life ends with another 10 years of Tory austerity to go when that's very clearly the very thing she's trying to fight back against yeah it's it's like a it's it's a pretty outrageous feeling that you're left with at the end of this film but at the same time and I'm so glad that I, I was even given the chance to see this work that I never would have seen. Like, she does seem like a legend. She embraces this controversial nickname that she's given, the Demon Snapper, by her local community yeah. when they notice that she's, like, she, they have a problem with her photographing the uh, the military influence and slightly pedophilic undertones of the, like, local jazz bands, which is like a marching band thing. And there's a part where... Um, they're speaking to like an old professor of hers and he says that her entry interview into the course was the shortest that he ever did he said what do you want to photograph and she said "Policemen kicking kids and he said you're in (laughs) and it's like what an icon um but like I suppose the most interesting thing about it is that the way this is all pieced together like not only do you have these really fun little interviews and the photography but you have sort of little dramatic kind of reenactments, not like scenes or anything like that, but just sort of set dressing, usually accompanied by the narration of her diaries by Maxine Peake, which is like a really, really good uh presence to have in the film. But also, yeah, you quickly become this is someone who is like very thoughtful about their craft, very like informed on the politics surrounding her community and the way she interacts with her community. And uh she's almost as proficient a writer as she is a photographer. Um, there's, like, a little speech at one point where she says that the Labour government, like, like not only is she, like, you know, decrying the Tories or whatever, but she says that, like, the Labour government have to be called upon to create a sustainable, like, home for socialism to thrive. And then she signs it off, and it is like, 1980. And you're like, oh, my God, this exactly. is, like, the most prescient film ever. <laughs> this is, like, straight out of what people are talking about now. And, again, that is kind of, like, part of the tone of the film that leaves you with this feeling of, like, the past is very much resembling the present and it feels as if we've not made a lot of progress but the uh, presence of her daughter as this investigator into her life who is like uplifting her art and her story actually makes it really, really sweet and makes it a really, really enjoyable watch. So I did like this one. I I liked like a good sort of very sensitive but also very informative documentary and again, I'm finding that like photography really thrives when it's, like, conjoined with cinema.
0: Yeah, mm. totally. Annie?
1: Yeah, I also surprisingly really liked it. Um, in a way that I was also kind of surprised by... Actually, maybe less by All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, but I wasn't really familiar with Nan Golden's work. Um, and this I had never, like, heard of Tishmurtha before, so it felt like quite a... Like, how much are you going to connect to something that you don't really have, like, a context around? Um, but I thought the way that it was made was mostly really beautiful. I really liked the emphasis on the photographs and a lot of it is almost like a kind of montage with like a narration kind of set against it and I think that is because you're absolutely right that kind of meld of like photography and cinema works really well but I really like it when they allow the language of photography to continue to speak through cinema rather than kind of reconstituting it or whatever there were a couple of points where it kind of has like almost a bit of a like Slightly not even melodramatic, but quite like emotionally laden, like reenactment kind of thing. Um, and I didn't super love that, but I think that is just more a personal thing. I don't really like reenactments or whatever in documentaries or kind of, you know, like that figure from the back that's like an actor activist meant to be the person. Like, it was just not my favorite way to like tell a story, but like it doesn't happen. It's not definitely like the bulk of how the story is told. There was this one bit where they're talking to someone, I can't remember who, (laughs) um, but the daughter is interviewing someone and they're looking at this one particular photo and I think the man says something like, it's just the kind of photo that you could only take if you were there for a long time. Like if you were sitting with this person for a long time, if you were both generally within that community but also within that specific environment for like hours. And I thought that was actually just a really gorgeous way of, thinking about a lot of these ideas around like class and community and how it kind of navigates them in that it is about yeah the people that are there and the people that use these kind of um like artistic methods or bring in something new to the community but they are still incredibly embedded in their community and it felt like that was what she did and I think you can kind of see the legacy of that through her daughter which again that was something that I was not 100% sure of like at the beginning of the film it reminded me a little bit of um was it that polystyrene documentary where the daughter was also involved
0: well this is the same director
1: it is the same oh okay well yeah. then right, right, right. okay that well, goes to show um <laughs> so yeah like that same model of having like the daughter involved and I think I felt like a little bit hesitant about like always telling like particularly female artists stories through this kind of family but actually the way that the daughter approaches it she understands her mother's work so well and she is angry about it like Mm -hmm. it's not just the kind of investigation of like what was it like and tell me this and like wanting to uphold her legacy it is a continuation of her legacy in a lot of ways of like the people that she talks to in the way that she talks to them she has her own perspective and her own voice and things that she's like no that isn't acceptable the ways that you were treated was like bad and I actually thought that that worked it didn't feel like she was just like a conduit for her mother it felt like she was kind of like continuing um well, not continuing, the opposite of that. My brain is not working. Like, her own kind of person, her own voice, which was really good. The Thatcher is obviously garbage, but then you do have, like, a little jump scare of, like, Tony Blair at the end, and you're like, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> so miserable, because you, like, go through this hell, and then you see this man at the end, and you realize that that was, like, the big fucking shift. Um, not to compare it to now, but it really is, like, oh, great. <laughs> Is this really what we have? And there is a kind of, not a pessimism, but I think there is a kind of resistance to catharsis in the film, which I thought was really interesting because of the way that her story ends, like quite sadly and bleakly. But then also, like, the political climate, like in hindsight, being like New Labour made things I- arguably also worse and maybe even
2: what yeah I, I gotta say like there's a clip like you say there's a clip where tony blair shows up and it's him giving his like uh new labor speech it's where, an
1: education one right i
2: think so yeah. I, th- th- I remember the line that he says is something about how like we need mothers who like want to go out and work instead of just like collecting oh. their dole and it's like i think that this film is maybe a signal of a wider part of like complete historical like uh, like the, the fact that like, p- people can look back on that and be like this is a guy who's just standing in front of everyone and shouting about something that is obviously not the problem it's so clear to us now and the fact that we had this entire world built around trying to deal with this problem of like poor people don't want to work and it's like that was never the problem so it's very infuriating and it's a very political film that is no doubt going to make you like turn to the person you're next to or whatever and start up a conversation afterwards yeah. but also like As much as a political film is, it is a cultural film. Like, we started talking about how, you know, the reason that you can't get... I mean, her photographs are just absolutely incredible, particularly in the, like, expressions that she captures on people's faces, Mm. whether they are, like a couple who are sleeping rough but they're like cuddling up next to each other or a guy at the pub who's laughing with like no teeth and it's this thing of like wow it's a lot harder to capture I mean it was hard then as you said like we learned that she had a really professional approach to her craft where she sat with her subjects for a really long time but it's even harder to get photos like that in this context because I almost feel as if everyone knows how they're going to respond to a camera whereas we learn in the documentary that she grew up in what was it, like, the poorest square mile of Britain at that time? And, like, you know, pilfered her camera from a a derelict house. And everyone in her community would probably never have been photographed in their lives before, you know? So it's like people have very naturalistic ways of responding. And so you've captured this person in an expression where, yeah, like nowadays, from a very young age, people have pictures taken of them and very quickly, you know... Decide their own way of responding to a camera, so it's like a perfect little like historical, cultural, and political artifact. This entire
0: like body of work that we see in this film. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I thought I agree. The the photographs are just the star. of The show is so good. Like because we have seen we see pictures like this all the time. Like in the eighties, there was so many photographers doing work like this, where it's like they go to towns like Glasgow and you know um, Manchester, like these kind of post-industrial towns and take pictures of like kids with bare feet and like dirty faces and like it, there, there was a kind of poverty safari kind of like mm. style of photography that you can go and you can still pick up these books but these are different and it's because she's from the community they don't you know these are people like you say having fun kids messing around it's like not focusing you know it's showing like t- t- uh, t- Life is tough, but it doesn't feel like an o- outsider looking in. You're because mid- like that's what most photographers would be. Middle class people going to these areas, like and almost like aliens looking, at, you know, poor people living their lives. And and these feel de- I love feel very different. I love the detail how she would give everyone a, f- a copy of the photograph and explain why she's taking this picture and how she's going to use it. Like she's actually just making them part of the story, which I think is also makes her completely different from most. Uh, practices who would be taking similar stuff so yeah i I think she's like incredible person i i loved the voiceover i thought like uh you know yeah i agree that sometimes like things that that use like recreations sometimes don't work but i thought yeah she's a great writer and she's such a powerful writer but what's so annoying about because some of these like some of these are diary entries and some of these are like letters and things but a couple of them are like um actual i think grant proposals to like i guess Uh, creative england or bfi or whoever funded in the 80s and she she gives this kind of forceful argument of why she has to make this work you know it's about youth unemployment it's about changing people's lives it's about how this needs to be documented and recognized and pushed back against and then it just ends by she didn't get the grant and it's like it makes you so angry Mm. who's handing out this stuff who could Mm. listen who could read that application and not think it was important so yeah yeah it's a film that makes you angry um it's, it's just yeah it's it's it's, it's kind of gonna get a happy story I love how like you know th- that her daughter has you know as she is creating this legacy she's getting this film made um you know sometimes like films where families involved you think oh well you're, you're always a bit sceptical but yeah it seems like she's genuinely trying to just get her, the name of her mother out there you know it seems like work has now been shown in the tate things like that so yeah it's like really important that you know these kind of voices i'm sure she, like Tisha is not the only voice this working class voice who's been ignored over the years you know, like voices like this are f- like discovered and you know um being shown to more people because yeah I, I, I thought that stuff was just... But, incredible. like,
2: it's easy as well to forget that it's, like, family members who are talking about this person in these little, like, modern moments. Like, that obviously it's her daughter who is sort of leading this discussion, but, like, the people she's interviewing are her own uncle, Tisha's brother, and, like, friends of the family who knew them all and stuff like that. But you very quickly forget it because her work is so complex and so, like, deeply representative of the culture itself that, like, you know it's not personal to them it's a it's a cultural thing and uh yeah the fact that everyone kind of like has their head screwed on right and recognizes her for the artist that she was even though the whole point of the film is that the rest of the world didn't um is like a really just like gripping way for these conversations to go in
0: Totally, yeah. So I think uh, that's a thumbs up from everyone on yeah. Tish. Uh, that is also released on the 17th of November. Uh, that's out by uh, Modern Films. Uh, go see it. In honour of our favourite little freak, Barry who's a horny little figure of chaos in all his films, we're going to be discussing our favourite horny figures of chaos in cinema. Yes, it's a very convoluted uh, <laughs> subject, but... Bear with us, people. So this who is wa- gonna get the clicks. People are gonna want to listen to a podcast episode about horny little freaks. <laughs> uh, who wants to go first in this? Um, do you want to go
1: first? I, yeah,
0: because yeah. you have the uh, timely I mean, one. Oh, I've got a, I mean, I would usually go to one of you, but you're both horny freaks, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, true. like you're We're both authorities you're on both horny ho- freaks. Equally horny and freaky. So <laughs> who who do I go to first? Um, I'll go first because <laughs> this film is out now.
1: Never. <laughs> on you go. <laughs> um,
0: so.
2: Like, this might seem backwards, but I really like films where you can have queer characters that are also pitiful, horny little freaks. (laughs) It's like, I guess it's like a triumph, right, that LGBT media is now so vast that you can have these, like, two ends of the spectrum. Like, on one end of the spectrum, you've got, like, Heartstopper, where it's all very, like, serene and cozy Mm. and everyone's super respectful and kind. And it's kind of that fantasy that, you know, queer kids at home might not get. So it's like, it exists for a reason and, you know... It's part of why loads of people like it. But even though I like it, you have to admit, everyone in that show is such a fucking goody-goody. Like, (laughs) it's a world where, like, teenagers are these, like, you know, flawless, like romantic angels, and I was getting desperate for, like, good representation where queer characters have the right to be rampant shitheads. (laughs) Which brings us to Bottoms, um, which is the other end of the, the queer representation spectrum. This is a world in this film where everyone is a freak. Uh, because it's high school, and they're catatonically horny, amoebic losers, who are, like, not always in the right, who don't always make the best decisions, but the film really invites you to laugh at them. So if you're not familiar, it's, uh, Rachel, is it Seno or Senot? Senot. I, I think so. And uh, the Bears, Ayo Edabiri, who are playing two teenage girls who start a quote-unquote women's self-defense class with the ulterior motive of just wrestling with the hot girls. <laughs> um, and it's so dumb, but it's like... It is that raunchy teen sex comedy that is for people who are on top of their feminist rhetoric. Like, it, is, it assumes you've at least seen Barbie. Like, the male characters, who are these sort of, like, you know, ma- like, antagonistic football jocks who are stealing all the girls, they are like the men in Barbie. They're a squadron of best friends who are actually incredibly, like, sensitive and delicate and precious, but everyone has to accommodate and privilege them because they're just, like, too stupid to be held accountable for their actions. And those are the kinds of characters that usually dominate the raunchy teen comedy, like American Pie or whatever. But I think it's healthy to have a film that explicitly states that teenage girls are equally awkward, equally horny, and just, you know, massive lunatics about, you know, I don't know, making out with people. There's uh, points where, like, their, you know, sparring partners in this club say, stop smiling, I'm kicking your ass. Which is like... (laughs) Just the perfect, like, you know, frazzled by horniness, teen brain thing. And, uh, like, my favorite thing, I think, is that, you know, the world building of this world where everyone is a freak. So, like, the pretty popular girl that Ayu Dabiri is crushing on uh, has a quote. She's like, I I really love it when people use violence and raise their voices for my benefit. Like, that's my love (laughs) language. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's the, like, with all these films, there's a trope where we have the, the climactic kiss on the football field in front of the whole school. And the characters are all, like, staring amazed. And one of them says to myself, like, oh, my God, I'm gay. And another one says, oh, my God, I'm not gay. Yeah. I'm just, I just love gay porn. <laughs> <laughs> I love that
1: line.
2: And it's just, like, everybody, down to the background characters, like, they're you know... I went to see it with my partner and he did not notice that in all of the shots where the school mascot is in the background, it's like a furry sort of Viking dog mascot that just has a gigantic dick. (laughs) Like... There's a there's like a blink and you miss it establishing shot of the classroom with all the like the football jocks that are sitting in the background. One of them's just in a fucking cage <laughs> for some reason, yeah. like a go-go cage with his like desk in it. But like yeah, I mean it gets really like frenetic and ridiculous. There's kids who like want to burn down the school or kill their stepdad, and it like flirts with that darkness in a very funny way. It's just so unhinged from beginning to end, and I think that's great. I'm, I'm excited that like lgbt pop culture isn't so sanitized that we can't show queer teens being like ravenous violent little psychos which they like often are like this is if you if you've got a friend of queer friends in high school this is gonna be better representation than like
0: love simon will be for you (laughs) so true (laughs) yeah i'm really disappointed because i only i did actually try and watch bottoms last night for like but my my computer wasn't working it was like some internet problem I gotta say, I don't know if it was just hard. I wasn't getting on its wavelength. I don't know what was happening, but I just, I could tell jokes were happening. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't laughing along. I don't know what it is. I just, I just feel like I was the problem. But uh, this
1: is cinema. I think watching it in the the, cinema
0: the thing is like, is, like I went. It's been out for I don't know how long now. Like a week. I, I think, think it's kind of the thing
2: where this isn't the hugest. Audience, Like, this isn't the biggest market audience that they're going to capture. And I think it's already been out for a while. I think that in, it came out ages ago in America. Like, yeah. it came out at the beginning of the year in America or something like that. So, like, anyone who wants to have seen it will probably have, I don't know, pirated it or something. So when we went to go see it, it was like us and, like, two other people. So I was kind of like, hmm, it's, it's, you know, an uphill battle, really. Because if they tell a joke, it, you're not going to be laughing with an audience. It's going to be quite quiet. And, I d- yeah, I admit, like, at... At the beginning you do have this sort of feeling of I can't tell whether or not these characters are like just annoying I can't tell if this is cringe I can't tell if this is like clearly written by like older people who are trying to do the whole like you know young trendy teenager thing but, like, you you do eventually, like, begin to... Especially, like, as, as the, the comedy gets physical as well. It is a surprisingly violent movie with lots yeah, of, like, action yeah, yeah. scenes. And that really, like, gets the energy up and makes it funnier. I have heard from some people it's incredible on the second
0: watch. Like I was going to say that because the film, it reminded me of when I was watching it. I was like, this is kind of, like, a little bit, like... Maybe it's because all the, the the jocks were... Uh, um, the football gear inside, but like uh, it remained a little bit of. But I'm a cheerleader, mm-hmm. um, and I think, and I didn't actually like that the first time I watched it, and now like every time I watch it, I crack up because I kind of like I'm on this. And you, like there. the
2: thing about these films as well is you're kind of meant to anticipate the joke. like you know American Pie. I, I'm not an American Pie fan. I don't even know if I've seen it all the way through, but it is like people kept watching that film, and it, it became a reference point. You kept having to reference things, and we're now in this age of raunchy sex comedy movies set in high schools or universities or whatever where they are in fact like, you know, trying to get away from the really like gross misogynistic goo that like, you know, occupied American pie. Like with Booksmart, the one that came out a couple years ago with Beanie Feldstein. uh, There's one, I'm going to double check. I think it's called The Cut that was on Netflix and it's about like a bunch of teens who go out on a like camping trip and one of them... Accidentally, like cuts off his own dick. Oh,
0: I, I don't, don't know. What I've it's seen. called the cut. It's not called the cut. No. I I remember. S- uh, what is it called? <laughs> I, I <laughs> remember so this though. Idea. It's got a lot of the characters. That's the, package, go, the package. The package. There you go.
2: <laughs> and it's really funny, but also like they ima- they manage to make a film around dicks, like dicks being the central plot point. That is not just like obnoxious and hyper masculine It's intersectional. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, and he followed that. <laughs> um I'll make this brief. Um, <laughs> so I was trying to think of who my favorite like weird little guy in cinema is. And I would like to make the argument for Mr. Collins played by is it Tom Holland or Tom Hollander? I always get them confused.
2: Tom Hollander. Tom, Tom Hollander. It would be funny if it was Tom Holland
1: Spider Man. Tom Holland Spider Man, but he is also like an older, boring historian. Actually, I don't know if he's boring. That was really mean. <laughs> he is a historian. <laughs> oh no, I hope he doesn't listen to
2: that. <laughs> First Emerald Finale, and now this. Oh, God.
1: I always get confused who is who because there's too many of them anyway my point being uh tom hollander in pride and prejudice who plays mr collins i think generally that pride and prejudice for me is one of my favorite films i think it is gorgeous i think one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't just do what i think the 1995 adaptation kind of falls prey to and that it's just like such a kind of faithful adaptation that there is nothing kind of texturally interesting about it really as a kind of like filmmaking endeavor. Whereas this one, it's, he has, Joe Wright, who directed it, has like a real understanding of like how kind of visual language and kind of physicality and kind of the senses work. And he kind of brings all of that together to tell the story in a way that feels like you're watching a kind of craft happen. And with Mr. Collins' character, he has so many fucking good lines. There's, like, the thing that I sent you guys on the group chat, the bit where he's, like, like, what a well-proportioned Roman, what excellent boy on the <laughs> <photos."> <laughs> Normally it's just, like, fucking ludicrous lines. But also there's this, like, one bit where he, like, keeps clearing his throat to talk to Mr. Darcy, who is, like, the very tall Matthew McFadden. And finally he turns around, and he just, like, has to swoop out of his way to, like, avoid being, like, knocked over by him. And there's just, like, a kind of very, like, a physicality with which he holds himself which is like quite tense quite annoying like really that sort of in a similar way to Saltburn, that sense of like someone just glomming onto a group and like not letting go um and he does that like really really well and you do end up feeling like really sorry for him there's like a couple of bits um I think, like, the camera pans to his face after, like, Lizzie rejects his proposal. Uh, spoilers for Pride Prejudice, I guess. Um, and then there's a bit where she's gone to, like, see him and her best friend who, like, married him, like, a few months after. Um, and he is, like showing off about the house and he's being really annoying and really cringy he's like I just think it's like perfect and blah 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 and as the two girls like walk out like barely listening to him and he's like I just think like anyone would be proud to call themselves mistress of this home you can just like see his little face like and I think there's just something really good about the way that Joe Wright in that film with him and like with all of the characters just pays attention to a kind of detail and rhythm of storytelling that I really love he's just like so weird it just truly... W- Could you imagine your parents being like, you have to marry him? Could you <laughs> imagine? Like... I, like
2: <laughs> the, it's been a while since I've seen it, but the thing that I remember most about the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice is that, like, the the actors, or at least, you know, the main actors, they're always, like, laughing their way through their lines, which gives it a yes. really like, good sense yeah, yeah, of, like, yeah, these... Yeah. It is really, like, flowery, elevated, almost hard to discern language sometimes, mm. but, like, that the fact that they are like giggling their way through it makes them very believable young girls. So the fact as well that you have like Tom Hollander as Mr. Collins who comes in and you're right like he's saying this stuff like, you know, these are the best boiled potatoes I've ever had. And (laughs) it's like he's he's reading his lines like he is reading out loud from a book he doesn't understand. You you know, and it's 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 this thing where I think it's he's the perfect foil to Matthew McFadden as Mr. Darcy, who's like, how can you fall in love with someone who's being a dick? But also, like, how can this guy who's being a dick not at all be any amount of threatening to you? And it's because, yeah, he's clearly just, like, read a book somewhere about how to, like, be congenial to your hosts and how to, like, properly address a lady or something like that. So he doesn't actually seem that nefarious at all because he almost seems like he's so desperate to be approved of and to like please the people around him that he's mm. clearly just like following the very explicit script of like social manners of that yeah. period Yeah, yeah and yeah. he it makes for such an entertaining watch it's he's so, so it's good. so realistic it's so believable and like modern because we know people who like think very hard about how they want to appear to other people
1: yeah 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 my mum hates well she hates Jane Austen generally and she especially hates Prime Prejudice <laughs> and one of the things that she always says is like they're all really horrible to Mr. Collins and they like reject him for being so embarrassing but then Lizzie gets really offended when essentially Mr. Darcy like says that to her about her family that he's like oh it's like really embarrassing I'm so in love with you because like your family is so like cringe and it's like why is that double standard there which I actually think is like one of the tensions not like the failures in the text and we've argued about it many times (laughs) still (laughs) but I think this film like really understands that right that like yeah, we know lots of people like that. And we actually have seen lots of people kind of like that within the Bennett household itself. And it's very good at, like, yeah, this sort of, like, humanizing while also having it be so over the top, like, comedic and funny. And, like, really digging into just, like, what are, like, he's not chaotic, really. He, if anything, he's, like, too by the rules. Mm. Um, but he is, he is horny. He, like, really, like, that one conversation where he's like, oh, like, Jane is, mar- like, engaged to be married. What about the next sister? <laughs> 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 but, but he is like a little weirdo. Little guy. Weird little guy. I love the weird little guys. Anyway, that's my... What about
0: thing. you, Jamie? Well, when I started thinking about this topic, I started to think about my beloved scribble comedies, mm-hmm. which I know, he is also very cl- close to your heart. Yeah. Um, yeah, because usually the, the 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 agent of chaos in scribble comedies is a woman mm-hmm. going into the... A kind of freewheeling, cookie like, off-the-wall women going into the life of a really kind of straight-laced guy. You know, think of Bringing Up Baby or The Lady Eve, which is what I was thinking of. Um And even one of my favourite films, uh, like which is a kind of, like, I guess I kind of inspired by the screwball comedies, is, like, Something Wild, you know? So yeah. it's like Melanie Griffith sort of sends this guy, this kind of straight-laced kind of yuppie off on a tangent. Um, and I thought uh, one I was going to talk about was uh, Barbara Streisand, and What's Up, Doc? Have you seen What's Up, Doc?
1: Yes, I love yeah. that film. I have so many things to say about that one, the man, what's his name, Ryan?
0: Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking Talk hell. about horny.
1: Yeah, <laughs> talk about horny. Also, talk about absolutely fucking depraved. Like, the things on his Wikipedia page oh my are, God, like, yeah. not well,
0: okay. you know, well, you know, he was, like, very jealous of his daughter winning the Oscar yeah, of Tate yeah, O'Neill. Yeah. Like, he was, like, supposedly didn't speak to her for ages because she won the Oscar. Yeah, yeah, she was,
1: like, what, like, seven, yeah, eight or something? Like... But then wasn't that the thing where he accidentally, like, hit on her once? like, years later at, like, an award set. Like, I think he was, like, just a bit, like, yeah. real asshole, But he is so hot. He's so sexy.
0: His <laughs> little geeky glasses, yeah. you know. But <laughs> he's always in his pants. Yeah. just always happens.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs>
0: anyway, sorry. I see a got, and he distracted. Sorry. <laughs> the whole the <laughs> the, the horny chaos of this
1: the titular horny freak <laughs> uh,
0: but anyway barbara Streisand is fantastic she plays judy Maxwell, who's this kind of freewheeling cook who's just a magnet for trouble um she instantly starts kind of like pursuing this geeky professor who's turned up at this hotel with his wife eunice who's awful <laughs> um he's like he's like the most boring job he's like what is he? he's a as a professor of rocks he's interested in how rocks vib- <laughs> vibrate he's got the most ridiculous job um and there's this whole crazy plot about tartan bags he's got a bag full of rocks uh, Barbara streisand has got a bag full of pants <laughs> and then um, what else there's, a, there's, uh, there's an old lady with a bag full of jewels and then there's this kind of shady guy with like a bag full of like government documents and they all get switched around and it's a, like, a real kind of like uh, caper movie where like you know like there's like o- opening doors it's very funny um, there's a kind of insane chase through uh, San Francisco um, which involves going through Chinatown and getting like wrapped up in like a like a dragon and, and like you know it's got there's so many good sight uh sight gags you know the classic uh like silent movie gag of the pane of glass there's like a million of those types of <laughs> jokes in this film and it's all caused by barbara streisand who's just like laughing her head off at all this chaos she's happened she's like basically usually eating a carrot or like smiling or like cracking a joke she's so funny um yeah and to me she sums up the kind of like agent of chaos the horny agent of chaos so it's basically just trying to get this guy this hot geek who she also wants to bed and stealing away from his <laughs> wife it's like yeah just like shamelessly you know uh causing chaos it's causing fun so much fun it's it's, it's by um it's, the script i think is one of the best scripts um in, uh, in cinema it's like uh written by buck henry who things like uh, catch 22 the graduate heaven can't wait um robert benton also was involved who did like the late show and kramer vs. kramer mm. like tons of like you know uh like ho- hollywood pedigree it's and it's a million you know it's basically the plot is kind of roughly bringing up baby that's kind of the reference point but it goes off in a million different tangents so much fun it's got a hilarious court scene at the end yeah, it's, it's, it's a great film. You haven't seen it, see
1: it. It's, it's so much fun, so so much fun. Because it's like after the golden era of the screwball comedy. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's like so of that genre. Yeah,
0: so it's uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich. It's I think his third film, maybe. He's it's just, it's it's straight after doing. I think he may have done Paper Moon before. I'd actually talk about um, Ryan O'Neill. Um yeah, he's, the so, so so he's so, so he's probably done. He's done. Yeah, it's maybe his fourth film. Um, I think his last truly great film as well. But um yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh it's, and it, and obviously he's like a student of like, these films you know he was like a great kind of critic as well and he like knows cinema mm-hmm. inside out so he's obviously referencing all these movies that you'll see you know Preston Sturgis and and people like that but uh yeah he, he just comes up with his own kind of like cookie uh little take on it which I think is great yeah
1: it is great what a collection <laughs> of weird films yeah. <laughs>
0: well you know <laughs> I think they're all worth looking at uh, so that's our show guys I think yeah. um, what we're we left to do, do some plugging so um, we are, well I should say we'll be back in two weeks time where we'll be running down some of our favourite films of the year, it's actually that time of year guys where we were talking Fucking about hell. like the films of the year, have you got your list ready? have you been checking them twice?
1: Girl, we submitted <laughs> them to you <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true. have you got my list? I, actually that's another job I have to do <laughs> Um, so that's going to be fun uh, once we've, we've cleared that list. <laughs> we should also say Senny Skinny, skinny will be back in the new year we're going to be showing I Hired the Contract Killer um, Aki Kiri uh 1990 film which is a lot of fun um, that's going to be at Summer Hall on 16 January and going to be at CCA on 17 January is there anything else guys? Have we missed anything? I think that's it no, I, think that's okay. I guess all we can say is Peter get well soon, please yeah. come back and don't subject <laughs> people to this to me
1: don't <laughs> subject Jamie to <laughs> oh, No,
0: my god <laughs> we're back in two weeks have a good time and we'll see you again bye bye, bye.